All right, tonight I want to talk about what I believe are some of the basics of the Christian walk. Basics um, that I actually feel like in the church aren't actually talked about that much. Um, it's kind of a bummer. It's actually a little disheartening because I would argue that they're basic, so I don't know why we don't talk about them. Um, but tonight I want to talk about something that maybe you think we talk about a lot, but we're, I want to talk about identity. I want to talk about righteousness and the freedom that comes from the truth of the gospel. So let's jump right in. Let's look at the screen. Next slide here, Proverbs. Do you have it? Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. I love that. And all you're getting, get understanding. Other translation says, and it's actually kind of a funny translation. Another translation says, um, the first step to wisdom is get wisdom. <laughs> I think it's funny. But wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and all you're getting, get understanding. So really, that's my heart tonight, is that this is the last message before 2020. And I really feel like the Lord said, enter 2020 with a message talk about truth and identity, talk about righteousness, and that starts with us getting understanding, getting truth. Um, Jesus said in John 8, verse 31, I'll read it, if you hold to my teaching, so if you hold to my teaching, if you uh, listen to my voice, if you read the word, if you hold to my teaching, you hold it close, you make it your own, you are really my disciples, and I love this, we've probably heard this a bunch, but then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you so truth is what sets you free. So we're going after truth tonight. I'm excited because I feel like some people, you may not even know it, maybe your friend dragged you here, but you're about to get free. Tonight I want to see the freedom that comes from our new identity in Christ. It's all about the truth of our identity. It's about reading the truth. It's about reading the scriptures, but then actually believing it. Because I feel like once we believe the truth, it will then start bringing freedom, break off lies. See, more than ever, I want to enter 2020 free of self-doubt. I want to enter 2020 free of insecurity. I want to see fear of man demolished. I want free freedom from shame and condemnation. I want to be so confident in 2020, and I want this for you, so confident in God's character and so confident in the Jesus that's in me. What if I told you tonight that you could enter 2020 with all those things that I listed dead? It can happen tonight. How many of you want that? So we're going to read the scriptures together. I'm going to take a stab at it. I'm going to just talk at you. And so I just, Holy Spirit, be with me because uh, have your listening caps on. Here we go. See, some of the truths that we're going to talk about tonight, I believe we should never stop talking about. I know in my life, I've kind of given my life to this message. I know I will always be pre uh, preaching on truth, identity, and righteousness. I'm always going to be talking about destiny. Why? Because I believe those are the cruxes of the good news of the gospel. It's why Jesus came. It's why he died to give me, to give you new life. It's why we are born again. It's why we must be born again. Because I don't know about you, maybe you could relate, but at one point I was a different creation. We used to live and think a different way. We used to believe differently. Can anyone relate? But then Jesus came in, and now we are born again. We now have the mind of Christ and are now called to believe something new. See, the main reason why I want to talk about this stuff is because I, I believe I'm looking at a group of people, week in and week out, 
a group of people meeting in a church in Newburgh, Oregon, I believe that these people, and I, and I know that there's people that are on vacation, just our church at large, I believe I'm week in and week out, I'm leading worship, I'm looking out and seeing the change, I believe I'm seeing people that can change the world. <laughs> uh, I see a group of people that are growing up in the knowledge of Christ, of people that are understanding who they are in Christ, and therefore stepping out to change the world, because maybe for the first time ever, they're seeing in their lives who they've become because of the finished work of Christ. I've talked to some of you, I hear testimonies from Alex, there's people um, that have been going to church forever and they're like, I came to this church and I've never heard this before. There's transformation taking place here and it's leading to world change, amen? See, as Christians, we can't just cave into the world and make our Christian walk just be about something you hear on Sunday and then the rest of the week we're discouraged, not knowing what our life is about, having our emotions dictate our circumstances, but instead, we're gonna be the people that let the word of God, his voice, change us from the inside so that we can see the world changed around us. So, I wanna start by looking at righteousness. Let's look at the screen. Hebrews says this, next slide. Hebrews one, but to the son he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Get this, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Other translations of this says, you rule your kingdom with righteousness, or you rule your kingdom with justice. So I'd like to propose that Jesus came to rule you and your identity as righteous. When you got born again, you were knighted, if you will. You were dubbed on the shoulders with a scepter of righteousness, and he said, you are right standing with me. See, righteousness in the kingdom is a big deal. It's finding out who you really are in Christ, And get this, this is very important. We must start, when we think about righteousness, think about our new identity, being born again, we must start where Jesus finished. So the finished work of the cross and his resurrection is where we must start. If we don't start there, we will start in a place of deficiency. Trust me, I've done it. We will start in a place of deficiency and work for an identity instead of work from one. Let me say it again. If we, if we don't start where he finished, we will start in a place of deficiency in our identity and work for an identity, go throughout life trying to figure out who we are, or instead find out what the scripture says about us and work from there on. Are we alive? See, we must start where he died on the cross and made a payment, and from that, our new identity is righteous. See, it's pretty simple. Now that we know what Jesus said, our job is now that we need to believe it. We must believe that we are what the Lord says we are. Just like that song that we sing every now and then, I am who you say I am. Do you know that song? See, what happens is we sing it at church, we sing it loud and proud, and then we drive home and we get in a fight with someone, mostly your spouse if you're married. Or we go back to work on a Monday morning and feel discouraged and forget who we are. I mean, maybe I'm alone in this, but I'm ready to die in 2020 to those certain things again. I'm ready to die to self-centeredness. I'm I'm ready to die to a gospel that is just about me. See, we must believe, right? We're called believers for a reason. We gotta believe, amen? And we must live by faith. See, quote, living by faith is way more than just a saying to make you feel better. Like believing and living by faith is way more than just saying, and I've heard this before, maybe I've used it. It's way more, living by faith is way more than, yeah, brother, just taking a day at a time, just living, living by faith, you know? And what happens is we applaud that, and please hear me, we've all been there, but is that really, quote, living by faith? See, what is faith? 
It's belief. It's getting truth in believing. It's believing in Jesus. Let's see this. Next slide. Hebrews says this. Hebrews 11, I believe. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So knowing this, what does living by faith really mean? It means having confidence. It means in what we hope for, we, we actually have hope. We see it on the horizon. Being sure of what we do not see in our lives. It looks like in the midst of a trying time to have, in a trying time, sorry, it looks like in the midst of having a trying time to have confidence and assurance in what we believe. It's saying, you know what? This time right now that I'm in this life, this month, it's difficult, but I don't have to live in defeat or discouragement now. Why? Because that doesn't belong to a son or a daughter of God. I know I'm gonna be okay because I believe if God is for me, who can be against me? God, you are so good, and I know you only have plans for me to prosper. Since you died on the cross years and years ago for me and made a payment, death and destruction can't touch my family. Therefore, Jesus, you are my joy, and you, Lord, you say in your scriptures, may the weak say I'm strong. Does that sound a little bit, does that talk sound like a little bit more like living by faith? Yes? Yes? Alex says yes, so I'm going to keep going. See, I, I feel like that type of talk, that sure does be, yeah, man, life really stinks, but you know, just living by faith. See, living by faith, a strong identity and righteousness go hand in hand. See, if you asked me when I was growing up, honestly, and maybe if you ask most Christians today, the question, why did Jesus come to earth and die? I think many would say, because I'm a sinner. He came to save me. He came to get me to heaven. He came to take away all my wrongdoings. And I, I would definitely say, with all those listed, I would say yes. But I would argue that is the first part to the whole story. Because let's be real, those things that I just uh, said, are those really good news? If I'm saying I'm messed up and so someone needed to come save me, which guys, I'm thankful for. Jesus is Savior, he came, that was a big part of it. But now if we only live in that paradigm, now I need to live on earth just trying my best to be good. And say, Lord, when I die, um, I'm just so thankful that I'm not going to this fiery place called hell. Isn't that sometimes what most people think? I, I've thought that way. And I think staying in this belief system is actually de deadly because I would argue it's a self-serving gospel. See, G Jesus didn't get this. Jesus didn't come just to get us to go to heaven. He came and died to get heaven back into you. I'm gonna say it again. Jesus didn't come and die just to get us to go to heaven. He came and died to get heaven back into you. This is good news. So that we can now walk this earth like how he did and make earth look like heaven. That's our real identity. Romans 4.3 says this. I'm going to read it. Alex has talked about this before. Romans 4.3 says, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So even if we stop there, let's see what's actually being said, what's being said in the scripture. It's saying Abraham was a righteous man. How did he get there? Faith. Belief in God. This shows that our righteousness is directly linked to our faith and belief in the finished work of Jesus. So not our life experience, not what someone has said about us, not even how much we've sinned, how much we've ran away. See, when it comes to our identity, righteousness and faith are married. Righteousness comes from looking at what Jesus accomplished on the cross, what he purchased through victory, and believing what that truly means for you today. 
Even when you don't feel righteous or our life choices look a little different, it's standing in the truth of what he says. Righteousness usually in the world refers to morally right or fair. So really in the world, at the end of the day, what I could say is that righteousness in world standards is what's right or wrong, and it's really kind of left up to people's opinions, right? I think this is an issue because many people in the world definitely think certain things are right and fair that others certainly do not. Are you tracking? Therefore, we clearly know that in the world, righteousness has a huge range of definitions. But get this, the Bible teaches us that righteousness is, on, is based on what is right in God's eyes. So I'd like to propose what makes us right in God's eyes has nothing to do with what we have done, but has everything to do with what Jesus has done. Righteousness is not about um, just did we do the right thing? Are we a pastor type fail? Is he, is he looking at us with that lens of past type fail? Romans 5 talks about the word justification. Justification is defined as God's act, I love this, God's act of removing the penalty of sin and removing the guilt. I wanna say it again, justification means God's act of removing the penalty of sin and removing the guilt. Let's look at the screen, uh, I'm gonna prove that to you. <laughs> Romans 5, 18 through 19. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Do you know who they're talking about right there? Adam. Whoa, Adam. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. This is good news right here. When you see an even so, good news. Even so through one, capital M, Jesus. Even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, talk about Adam again, many were made sinners. Pay attention to that language were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. It's good news, that's the Bible. See, having these, these truths and faith is amazing. We can have them all up here, we can quote them, we can have, but I believe all these truths and the faith that we muster up is all amazing, but I'd argue that it needs a landing strip. It needs a landing strip, let me explain. So you could read the word and hear all these truths, and how many of you know you could read them, a friend could prophesy over you, but you can still live a certain way, right? See, they need a place to land. The truths need a place to land. I believe righteousness, get this, righteousness is the landing strip for the faith, for the truths to really settle in. See, when you have a solid identity found in truth, all that faith you have, the confidence in your beliefs, will now have a vessel to live in. And then you'll start seeing it manifest in your life. So this is very simple, but if God says, I forgive you, he says, I forgive you through my son dying on the cross, then we must live forgiven. I'm sorry if this is really simple, not intellectually shocking tonight, I'm all for deep theological work. I, I understand getting new ways to get answers to things and thinking differently. But we never, I, I wanna remind us tonight that we can never forget that the gospel is simple. See, just like the series that we went through for Christmas, The God Who Comes, how many love that series? Alex did a great job, Jim as well. The God Who Comes. Jesus comes to us to reveal himself. He came to reveal his secrets of his kingdom through relationship. He didn't come to just give an appetizer, but then the rest we would need to go out and seek out 
through our own strength. Like it wasn't just like, the Christmas story wasn't just like, hey, here's a teaser named Jesus, but then go work and figure out the rest in your life. No, it's, it's simple. It's starting where he finished in victory. It's understanding, understanding I am in him and he is in me. We are one. See, again, if, if God says, I love you, God says, I love you. You see, you see like a picture, even like it reminds me of The Passion of the Christ. It's a, it's a great movie. If you see Jesus and what he did for you, and he's like, I, this is how I'm showing you that I love you, then we must be believers that receive the love. So live today like you are forgiven and loved. See, sometimes the trouble in not having a solid identity is we can easily identify with what's wrong, what's happening, what's not happening, instead of growing into what's being made right. I'll say it again, it's very easy in life to base your identity off what's going on, what somebody said about you, your bank account, whatever it is, instead of growing into what is being made right. What Jesus says about you, what the gospel says about you. What happens when we live the other way, we start troubleshooting issues in our life, we start getting really introspective, we start calling all of our friends, trying to figure out what's wrong with us, instead of running to the scriptures to read about God and what he, who he says we really are, believing the truth. See, righteousness isn't just about, quote, being right or being, quote, wrong. Righteousness is not just about, quote, this thing is right and this person is wrong. I know this sounds very simple and almost similar language, but this one truth really helped me. Righteousness through Jesus is him making wrong things right. See, God looks at us for what we were created for. He doesn't see us through, like how I said, a pass or fail type of lens. He doesn't see you for what wrong you've done and how far that you've ran away from him. However, when we get born again, we invite him into our heart. He becomes Lord, and he sees us through his son Jesus as righteous. However, I've been in the church long enough, and I've even seen in certain ways that I think, that it's very easy throughout life to start thinking under guilt, condemnation, shame, when as believers that shouldn't be the case, amen? Those three things, guilt, condemnation, shame, sounds like bold language, but I believe those three things are anti-finished works of Christ. Those are things that were demolished when Jesus died. Can I get an amen? Okay. When a Christian is living in one of those three things, it means that we don't see the truth. Our perspective is off. It doesn't mean that maybe at times you didn't do something wrong. It just means that in a moment, you're actually responding in guilt, condemnation, and shame, and it's because I'm forgetting the truth of what Jesus did on the cross. It's the times that I believe what I did, how I reacted, is actually who I am. It's the times in life with I, I start getting confused in how I reacted in this way. The thing that I did that I shouldn't have is actually who I am. It's saying what I do is my identity. The point I'm wanting to make is this. In the church I've found over the years that we have raised our ability to do something and made that our identity. We have raised our ability to do something, so to sin, if you will, and made that our identity. It sounds a little silly, um, but these are some of the truths that help me. I hope they help you. This, it may sound a little silly, 
But just because I know that I have the ability to go out into my Subaru in my car and go out and run someone over, does that make me a murderer? I know it's silly. Um, to get even more real, I know that I could, I'm married. I know I prob- in my flesh, I probably have the ability to go make a wrong decision. Does that mean I'm an adulterer? No. Another analogy that's really helped me is this. So cheesy. If you're lactose intolerant, I'm sorry. This, that's the one that got you guys, huh? Okay. I'm going to add that in my next. Here's the analogy. Are we alive? I'm alive. Am I sweaty? I think so. Okay. Let's say, here's the analogy. Let's say we're walking fine in life. You're just loving the Lord. You're singing the next new Hillsong song. You're like, great. You're out like in the bushes with your friends? I don't know. Say you're just, life is good. You're just walking throughout life, right? And then all of a sudden, you step on a nail. I don't know if you ever stepped on a nail. It hurts. But you're going through life, just life's good, right? You're not even thinking about nails on the ground, but you go and walk, and you step on a nail. Now, of course, it hurts, right? But how many of you know it'd be super silly, now, bear with me, it'd be super silly for me to be so hurt by that nail? Like, yes, it physically hurts, but, like, start to get discouraged, be like, oh, my gosh. Like, it'd be so weird to the point that I think I'm a nail. (laughs) That I step on this nail, and I get so hurt that I just start, like, I start minimizing myself to this nail that hurt me. So then I grab the nearest hammer, and I start hammering myself down. That's stupid, right? What happens is what we need to do is we quickly realize the pain it caused, come to a place of responsibility, I then repent, change the way I think, repent that I wasn't watching where I was walking, but then deal with the nail, take it out, and continue to walk. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? See, as I said, a righteous identity needs to be a landing strip for faith and truth to settle in. See, how many of you know I could prophesy over, you could come to the front, I could prophesy over you all day saying Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. It's all good. We need to keep prophesying, declaring truth. And how many of you know if I did that, I would be right. I'd be declaring truth. But how many of you know that it's another thing for you to hear it and then actually get alone with Jesus and get loved on by him? It's different. I could tell you Jesus loves you all day, but until you go into your room, shut your door, and say, Jesus, here I am, will you love me? It's different. It takes me to wake up and believe the biblical truths about me, and it takes me, get this, participating in relationship with Jesus, walking in step with Jesus. Why? So that grace can enter in. What's grace? Grace is empowerment. Faith brings empowering grace. An empowering grace to walk in righteousness and holiness, to be transformed, and what Romans talks about, being dead to sin. Ephesians 2 says what? We are saved by grace through, does anyone know? Faith. We are saved by grace through faith. See, when you come into the kingdom, he touches you, like how I said, with a scepter of righteousness because of the payment that Jesus made on the cross. And then he says, you now and forever are right with God. See, righteousness reveals your worth to him. It's the thing that gives you access to intimacy with him. And being with him intimately is what transforms us. And it produces 
holiness. See, in the past, I've been the person, or maybe I've talked to some people in the past, where they feel like they can't even get alone with God and pray. Because there's so many things that they have to say, so many different things to finally feel qualified to get into the secret place with the Lord. You don't feel worthy, and I've been there, and so you go weeks and weeks without getting alone with him. Why? Because you don't feel qualified. But once again, this message is simple, and newsflash, Jesus qualified you. See, if we never find ourselves thinking we aren't qualified, then we won't get alone with him and be intimate with him. So what is the first step to that relationship? It's understanding who we are. Sorry if I sound like a broken record. It's understanding who you are and then righteousness leading to grace and then the grace leads to holiness. It's pretty simple. Because if you think about it, how can you receive anything from him if you haven't been with him. We go through life wanting different things and all you're getting, get understanding. You want peace, joy. And we go to all these other things. But how can you receive anything from the main source if you haven't been with him? This is important because now what I'm talking about is eternal life. Eternal life is not just a prayer. We touched on this a bit ago, but eternal life is not just a prayer that sends you to heaven when you physically die. Eternal life is here and now knowing the Father. I'm talking about John 17. When you go read John 17, it's about eternal life. See, the church has made the gospel and eternal life just a prayer to get you to go to heaven. So see, receive Jesus, and then go to heaven when you die. See, that's good, but I believe that's like barely the gospel. That's like a sliver of the gospel. The gospel and eternal life is his nature coming inside of you seeing your life transformed. So how many of you know the gospel is I was blind, but now I can see? Can I get an amen? That's the gospel. You were walking this way, I was blind, but now I can see. The gospel is behold, all things have passed away. And all, all things becoming new. It's you walking in the light as he is in the light. It's you shining The gospel is not, well, look at this place, look at our town, look at the earth, it's dying, it's corrupt, we're in the end times, it's scary now. So, quote, I can't wait to go to heaven. No, heaven came to you to bring change and give an answer to all the darkness in the world. You are the answer. Amen? See, we need this truth because I believe we get tricked along the way believing that we are what we do. But listen, as Christians, we are what he did. Come on. See, true Christianity is not performance-based. So it's not about changing first. It's about believing first. See, we must be careful, though, on teaching that just says, hey, we can just claim something, the name it and claim it gospel. You might be thinking that's what I'm doing right now. No. We must be careful on the teaching uh, of we can just claim something without any transformation or change. It's false. See, what you believe is what brings change. What you believe in here brings change. See, anyone that has real change in their lives from Jesus knows. Ask me. I'm very uh, close to Alex. You can ask him. In the, in the past five years, we have all been very transformed by the truth of the gospel, more than ever, I think, in our lives. 
But we talk about it all the time. We didn't work our way to that change. We didn't whip ourselves into shape for that change. No, any real change came from a heart and mind shift. See, it's what you see differently that will change you. It's about new perspective. Especially when I think about even Alex and I's relationship, the conversations that we have just around gospel, around truth. For years now, we have pushed each other. So we're like best friends. We push each other to believe, but then we also push each other to walk out the truth and be transformed. Don't just say, believe it, just claim it, brother. It's gonna be fine. There's been times where we call each other out, right? So it's action. It's being transformed. We're constantly pushing each other into a righteousness conscious and find out, finding, we push each other to find out how God sees us, how God sees a situation in life. Maybe something comes up at the church, something comes up in a, a personal family life. We, we, we go to God and see how he sees the situation. A born-again Christian doesn't just wake up. This is now, we're gonna ruffle some feathers here, okay? You gave me the mic. I'd love to get coffee and we could talk about this later. Uh, I would like to propose to you, a born-again Christian doesn't just wake up, quote, trying not to sin. We don't believe that we are accidents just waiting to happen. Hebrews 10 talks about Christ's death. Go read Hebrews 10. It talks about Christ's death. It talks about what his death did for us. And it's really amazing. It talks about how we don't need animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the final sacrifice for it all. It says the worshipers have been, have been purified and cleansed of the consciousness of sin. The consciousness of sin. Cleansed from it. This is huge and awesome. But we gotta read our Bibles, amen? Like that's something that I'm like, wait, that's in my Bible? This is kind of weird. Maybe I should read this. It kind of feels uncomfortable. Ha ha ha. We should probably read our Bibles. See, when we start talking this way in church, I've found people tend to get uncomfortable. To be honest, I was raised in the church, um, not by any, I'm not saying like, I have the message for the world, but just this, some of the stuff I'm saying, I didn't really hear growing up that much. I don't remember the last time I heard a, a message on Romans. <laughs> I don't. I wasn't preached this stuff, and so what happens is people tend to be uncomfortable. Even our name, Saints Hill. Hey, why do you call yourself a saint? Are you saying you're perfect? Are you saying that you never sin? All that stuff. See, the church is geared to be sin conscious sometimes. <laughs> we have made sin mighty and powerful, but more than ever, church, it's time to think more mighty and powerful about the spirit and grace and the finished work of Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to preach this stuff, to talk about, it gets uncomfortable, and so what happens is over the years, the church doesn't preach this, and what's the fruit of not preaching this? The fruit comes, and what happens is the fruit is there's no life change. It's kind of the same old, same old human life. And then what happens is we call it humility, but in fact, it's false humility. <laughs> how many of you know, get this, how many of you know when you come face to face with the king of glory, you see how good he is and the fear of the Lord grips your heart? You actually see who he, who he is and you actually start hearing how he sees you? How many of you know it takes true humility to put that on and wear that? That's true humility, is the fear of the Lord leading you to the Lord, and he says, this is who you are, and real humility is going low and saying, Jesus, I'm gonna do and be what you said I am. <laughs> it's easy in this moment to say, yeah, but uh, Jake, no one's perfect. 
I mean, I know I'm not perfect, so is Jacob saying that he's perfect? Now I'm confused, and then I spiral into doubt. Why? Because we've been so accustomed to sin language. But remember, while we were still sinners, God sent his son. Right? So our huge sin didn't stop Jesus from coming. Him being sent was not determined on us first getting clean. His sending was, in fact, to clean us. Are we alive? Romans 6 talks about being a slave to righteousness. Please, if anything, we don't have enough time tonight. I'm probably going to say it five more times tonight. Like, please, go read Romans. You'll hear everything that I'm saying. And if you find something that I'm saying that's not in there, please pull me aside and say, what are you talking about? But Romans 6 talks about being a slave to righteousness. In verse 19, it says that offering ourselves to being a slave to righteousness leads to holiness. See, living in holiness is not a works-based program. Holiness is a free gift that comes from believing who we are, which is righteous. We are learning. This is what it is. In this life, we are learning, not from lack, we are learning to be sons and daughters of the Most High. See, today, what our language should be like is we're alive to say this. Lord, all you see in me is my value. You see my potential, you see my destiny, and I believe your gospel. Not what people say about me, not what I feel or think sometimes, not what I hear in my head sometimes, but from my heart, I know that your word is true, and I'm right in your sight. It's amazing to be alive in you. That's how we need to talk. At least for me, I'll do it. Now lastly, to end, are you guys still with me? I'm almost done. Just did tons of talking, I'm a little parched. <laughs> but what I really want to do is one last time, I want to nail the hammer all the way down on this thing, on everything that I'm saying. I want to open up our Bibles as we end, um, make this talk legal for some of you guys out there. You need to even open the Bible. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles. Sorry, I'm being silly, kind of. Uh, I want to all read together. Look at your Bibles. We're going to read a portion of Scripture, and we're going to actually see for ourselves everything I've been saying. I'm almost positive that some of you guys, when we get to this passage, you're going to be like, wait, this is in my Bible. You're like, I've never read this before. Someone gave me a new Bible. (laughs) Is this a different translation? Sorry, I'm being a little feisty. Um, Everybody quickly flip to 1 John chapter 1. It's about to be real good, a good way to end. I'm going to be reading along on my um, computer. I have the scriptures on here. I'll be reading out of the New, King's James, New King James Version, so it may look a little different, but the New King James is a little bit more holy. First John chapter 1, are you guys there? I'm not trying to be annoying, but let's make sure we have it in front of I want you to see with your own eyes what we're seeing, Okay. So 1 John chapter 1, you guys there? Verse 5, you guys looking at it? 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, oh, this is good news right off the bat, that God is light, in him is no darkness at all. Real quick, where does God live? In me, in you. So you're telling me that in me is light and there's no darkness at all. 
Okay. Continue on. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? How much? Are there any excited people in here? This is good news. See, he's telling you once again that you are made righteous. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That phrase, if we say that we have no sin, if you read it in context, what it's saying is this is about, it's talking about a self-righteous person. So the verse right before, this is important. The verse right before that is it's talking about the blood of Jesus covering. So it's saying, if we say we have no sin, so what we're saying is that we are actually good, I'm a self-sufficient person, I actually don't need the blood of Jesus. If it's a person saying, I'm not guilty of ever sinning, I don't need the blood, I've never sinned, that's what he's saying. So that's what that verse is saying. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, so once again, verse eight, it's a man saying, I have no need for the blood, no sin. John says, that's deception. You have been deceived. But verse nine, if we confess our sins, So I believe that's the born again experience, coming to him. If we confess our sins, get this, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? How much? So good. Now moving on, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, John's bringing up again. He's making the point clear. He's saying, hey, make sure no one's in denial here. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, So we say that there's no need for the blood of Jesus on my life. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. So he's preaching righteousness. He's preaching the forgiveness of sins. The next chapter, chapter two, verse one. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Wow. See, real quick, a lot of times we don't read in context. We don't read passages in their whole entirety. When someone is talking about being freed from sin, it's very easy to pull out, excuse me, that's disgusting. It's easy, to, it's, easy, it's easy to pull out one scripture and use it against its context and actually combat truth on what the Bible's actually saying. It's like easy, well, is this blasphemy? We're always sinning, right? Nonstop. It's the fall of man. Us breathing right now in this room is probably sinning. I'm probably sinning, I'm gonna sin in five minutes, probably. Blah, 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 right? See, if I leave this place, if I leave this room and go out, outside to my life, believing I'm a righteous child of God, I wonder how I will live. It's pretty simple. The Bible says, for as a man thinketh, so he is. If I believe I'm a righteous child, I will probably live my life more according to that truth as a righteous child. And get this, just like the nail analogy, this is really important. If along the way, walking in life, I trip over human weakness, I stumble over my flesh, get this. I run directly to my father and I repent. He picks me up, he holds me close. I've done, this has probably happened to you. He picks you up, he holds you close, and he reminds you of his blood. He cleanses you with the blood, he reminds you of truth, and this is important. He, I believe when you come and repent, there's then the grace for victory. 
So you repent, he reminds you of truth, and he releases grace back onto your life to run stronger in this life than you ever have before. That's how we deal with that stuff. Is anybody getting anything here? Now, verse one again, look down at your Bibles. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. See, it's real simple, but really get this. Did John really say a few verses before this? Look, you'll always sin, it's who you are, and if you say you aren't sinning, you're lying. And then a few verses later, he's like, now I'm writing this for you um, that you may not sin. But don't forget you're always gonna do it. Kind of confusing. I'm almost done here. Next verse. If anyone sins. Do you guys see that? If. Not when. If. Don't claim to be perfect. I'm just reading the Bible. Truth. It's good news. If. Not when. In that language, if you sin, do you guys happen to see the possibility, the, the invitation that's there for you and me? To live righteous and holy to be a clean, squeaky clean bride of Christ, that he comes back for one that is clean. It's an invitation. Aren't you guys glad that you're reading the Bible? You're not just like listening to some crazy Latino guy spinning off some things that I think he's wacky. Reading the Bible. Once again, are you saying, Jacob, you're perfect? No, if you're close to me, Alex is close to me, my wife's close to me, if you, if you know, you know that I've never claimed perfection. However, if you're close to me as well, I know that these truths have transformed my life. They've pushed me more than ever to righteousness and a big desire for holiness. I'll never say that I'm perfect, but I will say that the gospel has purified my heart. And therefore, I don't think about sin like how I used to. I think more about a righteous identity, more than anything else. And I, I want to give you a little nugget here. I've seen a longer lasting fruit of holiness from that way more than just me be thinking about my own sin. So again, last scripture of the night. If we sin, get this, we have an ad advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse two, he himself is the pro, does someone know how to say that word? Whatever. Propitiation. I had to look that word up. The word means the action, I love this, the action of regaining someone's favor or the word appease or fulfillment. So he, is the, he himself is the fulfillment for our sins, not only ours, but for the whole world. Come on, it's good news. It's good news. See, we shouldn't be afraid to preach this if we're going after truth. My encouragement to you tonight is don't ever be afraid at looking at yourself the way God does. I'm gonna say it again. Don't ever be afraid in your life, in the midst of ups and downs, don't ever be afraid at looking at yourself the way God does. Like I said before, I wish we had time. Uh, like, I could probably, I'm, clearly I'm pretty passionate, about probably for five more hours, I could probably go and read Romans in its entirety, and you'd be like, oh, all the stuff that he's saying is in Romans. But real quick, an over, uh, overview. Please, I, seriously, as a friend, I'm saying it's gonna take you like 20 minutes of that. Go read Romans. Romans 6. We're gonna crush one more thing here. I'm gonna try. Romans 6 talks about the accomplished work of Christ. The title of the chapter in your Bible says dead to sin. 
alive in Christ. Go look at it. Then there's Romans 7. Romans 7. It's the one that everyone gets hung up on. There's theological debates about Romans 7. But even if you look at the title of Romans 7, it says freed from the law. So if you read it in its entirety, Paul is talking in Romans 7, Paul, I believe, you can talk about this later if you don't, this is, I have the mic. Paul is talking about a man that is still living under the law, what it's like to live in the flesh. Talks about how he's damned, he's doomed, he, he can't do the things that he wants to, right? Then Romans 8 talks about not being condemned because now we live by grace and we live by the Spirit. It says that, that we aren't those that live by the flesh for we are in the Spirit. The church needs to stop finding permission in a sin nature and a bad identity via Romans 7. If you go read Romans 6 and 8, it's a sandwiched in there. It's one big letter. I promise you, if you read Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, all in row in context, this will make sense. I should probably stop. We're going to land the plane there. No, we'll land the plane there. It was a rough landing, but we got back home. We're in Newburgh, right? Let's all stand.